0: He's a well-respected high school football scout, known for his unpopular opinion and brash commentary. The coach, Keith Miller. He's a well-respected national high school football recruiting analyst.
1: Craig Craig Biggins.
0: Together they bring you the transparent truth. The world's number one source for high school football recruiting news and interviews. The transparent truth. (laughs) Ha ha. Welcome, welcome. You now listen to the transparent truth. It's your boy, Coach Keith.
1: Coach, Keith isn't doing too well today, man. That was one of the weakest It's Your Boys I've
0: ever heard. I'm hurting over here, GB. You should say It's Your Kid. I'm hurting, It's Your Toddler. It's been a tough 36 hours for your boy, man. Uh, Under the weather, serious cold, flu symptoms. But uh, I got to give the people what they want, GB. So I'm here. (laughs) I'm on the microphone, baby. You got to give the people what they want, what they ask for. So it's a transparent truth. Thank you for joining us. Uh, We're talking... Spring games, recruiting, sleepers, winter circle. Interview with B Huff, our good friend out of Scout, excuse me, not Scout, but 247 Sports, and also Scott Eklund uh, of 247 Sport. We're going to be reporting on the University of Washington and everything that happened in their spring game and their spring visits. Uh, but before we get to that, GB, the Transparent Troop Recruiting Report. Let's
1: start off with recruiting. we got a lot of recruiting notes this week, Keith. Let's go with it. We have a, a handful of commitments. We had a handful of new offers. We had some visits. We had some, uh, like you mentioned, some spring game visitors. So uh, touching on the commitments, we have five guys, as far as I know, that uh, made commitments. How about those Oregon Ducks, Keith? How about the Oregon Ducks? Bringing in not one, not two, but three elite players. Guys that I really like a lot. Mace Funa, Monterey High School. He is an Oregon Duck. Cameron Williams, he will play some safety out of Bakersfield High School. And then Javon Wilson out of Valencia. Linebacker, running back. I think he'll start off uh, as a running back. That's, that's what he wants to do. He actually likes running back. Although, man, I watched this film again recently. I still like him at linebacker. But I think he likes the idea of being a, a thunder and lightning. And who knows who the lightning will be. Could be Sean Money Dollars. Could be somebody else. Travis Die. Travis Dye is already there. I'll yeah. talk about in, in this two 2019 class. Yeah. Sure. But the best you can, I know you're hurting right now. A little bit. You're, 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 trying to, you're trying to battle. You're trying to fight through this. You, want, you need to have a Rocky Balboa mentality, right? He didn't go down. He didn't go down. Ivan Drago had him down, but you know He did not go down. Give me your thoughts on Mace Funa, Javon Wilson, Cameron Williams.
0: Mace Fona versatility, man. Versatility in in a plethora of it. A guy that can come off the edge as a pass rusher, a guy that can drop in coverage. Uh, in zone and play with instincts and vision on the quarterback. A guy that's just comfortable making plays in the backfield. Mason has got the quickness, the size, the strength, and the football natural football ability to make plays at any level. Uh, of course, we know he's down and out right now with ACL injury. So our prayers out to Mason and his family. But we know we're getting, he's going to bounce back. Mace is a great kid, tough kid. Originally started off at Santa Margarita, kind of as a defensive end, defensive tackle. Has now transitioned to a linebacker. Just a big time player that can do multiple things. As an outside linebacker, again, his pass rush ability stands out and is special. Talk about Cameron Williams from Bakersfield. Great cover guy. Great athlete. I really like him on the corner. I think he can run. He can turn his hips. He can stick his foot in the ground and play downhill to football. He's got the type of ability, GB. He can play every route from eight yards distance. And that's what you want as a coordinator. You don't want to always have to play bump and run. You don't always have to want to play off. If you want a guy that can challenge a route from anywhere he lines up on the field, Cameron Williams, that type of athlete, that type of playmaker, really like him. And then Javon Wilson, what can we say? One of our favorite players over at Valencia. Of course, they had a big-time year, and they got some other big-time players, with Javon, a two-way star, running back linebacker, can run and hit with the best of them. Uh, like you says, he's going to start off as a running back. I don't I don't knock that. I think his potential is, is higher on the defensive side of the ball, but hey, you have to follow your dreams and follow your want too. So Jay Von starting off and running back over in Oregon and you know, he's got the ability to pound a rock, G B. He gets his shoulders square and gets downhill. He's gonna punish some people. Mm-hmm. And he can, he's got a little more, little more juice. He's got a little more top-end
1: speed. Again, watching the tape, man, he was running away from some guys at 215 pounds or so. Nice job. Keith, go ahead and clear th- let, let your throat. Clear your throat, no, no, no. Clear your throat <laughs> man. Clear your throat. I got two more guys for you. Go with it. How about our, our, good, fun, our good friend, Jay Perk? Jonathan Perkins, yeah. out of Cajon High School, was going to Oklahoma. And kind of a funny recruitment for me, Jason Rodriguez. I've out of the at Oak Hills. He's committed to USC. So this was kind of the funny story In the back, back story. So I'm talking to Jason Rodriguez on a, what was it, a Monday night? What is today, Tuesday? Today is, today is Tuesday. Might have been a Sunday night. Okay. I don't remember what it was. A couple days ago. Because It's called a couple days ago. Okay. This is going to air on Wednesday anyway, right? So none of these days matter. That's right. Anyway, so I talked to him on a certain day of the week. He had just took that unofficial visit to Oregon, loved it, raved about it. And then I, I get a, a nice little DM from his pops saying, hey, watch out for Jason's Twitter. That's, I've been doing this for a long time. I know when someone tells me, hey, watch out for this certain Twitter, I know someone's going to pop. And something big is yeah. going to pop, right? Yeah. I had heard going into the trip that USC was the leader. And I heard that there's a possibility that he could actually make, a, make an early commitment, right? But I didn't think it was going to be right after his Oregon trip. And even more so, I had just spent 20 minutes on the phone with Jason Rodriguez, saying he's got a top three, organs in it, he's going to take an official visit to USC in May. Uh, he's kind of telling me the whole spiel. And usually the way it works is, man, a kid will tell me, hey, so just a heads up, I'm going to commit later tonight, don't put it out there, that way I can kind of have a story ready to go, I'm not going to ever scoop a kid, I think everyone knows that about me, I'm not going to ever try to scoop a kid, Sure. but just want to have a story pre-planned and ready to go. So I would have thought, Jason, who I've known for a little bit, would have said, hey, you know, I know you're you're asking me all these organ questions, just a heads up, I'm actually going to be committing USC later on tonight. So he didn't do that. So I write this long Oregon story, right? Put it on the Oregon message boards. Great. You know, loved it. Oregon's in his top three. Post this story. Five minutes later, Pops slides in to my DMs. Hey, nice story. Just a heads up. Watch out for uh, watch Jason's Twitter. And I'm going, it's going down tonight? He goes, it's going down tonight. Oh, geez. So literally a half hour after I, after I posted my great he loved Oregon story, he commits to USC. And I have to do another story about, yeah, yeah. hey, why would you commit to USC? So anyways, long story short, Jason Rodriguez is going to USC, and Jay Perk is going to Oklahoma.
0: Yeah, Jay Perk, I think is a terrific fit over at Oklahoma. Oklahoma likes those athletic, uh, they like those quick, and somewhat undersized linebackers. They don't get a bunch of guys who are 6'3", 6'4", kind of run around playing linebacker Oklahoma. They like the guys who are around six feet six 6'1", that play with great quickness, uh, high IQ guys. Jay Perk, all of those. A very good tackler. He's got plays with a mean streak. Uh, big time player. Can play inside, can play outside. I think he's going to evolve into an inside backer, if you ask me. But I really like the fit over there at Oklahoma. Again, that Buki-Radley-Hiles uh, effect, taking, taking shape, taking in the – Context there because uh, Jay Perk, former UCLA commit, now uh, Oklahoma Sooner commit, it's a big time job by Lincoln Riley and that Oklahoma staff. If you look at Jason Rodriguez, GB, would you say he's a quintessential left tackle at the next level? You know, I, I'd say more more right tackle.
1: Okay. he's a big kid, and I, I, until you actually see him like up close, he's just a wide. He actually looks like a guard. He's six six, so he's got a tackle tackle height, but he's just wide hips, waist, shoulders, so I could definitely see him playing right tackle, or even, you know, if, if need, I could see him sliding inside and playing some the guard, because he has a thick, aggressive, yeah. kind of a wide-bodied tackle, Yeah. so it's, I think it's easier to slide inside than to slide outside.
0: Yeah, sure. I mean, left tackles are rare, right? Well, very Dude, rare. True, rare. True left tackles are rare. I mean, you got to be a big dancing bear. You got to be able to, you know, you got to be able to move your feet. You got to be able to dance. You got to be able to get on that dance floor, because... I mean, most left tackles are probably, what, 260 in high school, yes. 270.
1: So Jason's already 300-plus, right? So yeah. I think it's it's probably easier for a guy who's going to be a tackle to kind of add that weight, keep yeah. your athleticism, then try to drop some weight and, yeah. and pick up the athleticism. So, yeah, so. maybe
0: right tackle, yeah. maybe in, in the interior. But I like Jason Rodriguez. I think he's talented. He's already got the size. He's got the nasty streak, dominated the Under Armour All-American camp. Big time pickup for the Trojans. You know, winning in the trenches, GB, it's of the utmost importance at all times. Just go ask University of Alabama as they keep sending offensive linemen to the NFL and they keep winning national championships.
1: Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Uh, new offer, too many new offers to name, but I want to throw out some offers from, some, from maybe some under-the-radar players, right? How about our guy, Josh Jackson? I think we had Sleeper of the Week, was that a month ago, a yeah. month and a half ago, whatever? Yep. How's this for a nice little trio of offers? Got Florida, not, not a bad offer, not number one offer for him, right? Then he picked up USC, Uh, then he picked up Oregon over the weekend. So Josh Jackson, the 2020 receiver now at Narbonne, was at Orange Lutheran last year, but he is a gaucho now. How about a 21 quarterback out of Alemini High School, Miller Moss? Picked up offer number one from San Jose State. San Diego State offered uh, Oxnard wide receiver athlete J.R. Waters, and also J. Sarah D. tackle Sean Nelson. And then one of my favorite kids, JoJo Hawkins from Orange Lou. JoJo, for me, he's, a, he's almost a borderline four-star level athlete. He's, last year in track, he ran 10-6, 10-7. He's been hurt all offseason. He hasn't done a, done a thing. He still goes to every event, but hasn't been able to work out all offseason. That's kind of hurt his recruitment. But he did pick up an offer uh, a couple of days ago. From San Jose State, so JoJo Hawkins, when healthy, has a uh, has opportunity to be a shutdown cover corner. I mean, he has that kind of speed, that kind of ability. although the brother goes to uh, to Cal, Jaden Hawkins. So he's got some bloodlines, and his dad, Juice Hawkins, is an unbelievable coach, an unbelievable guy, and an unbelievable barber. Juice Hawkins doesn't cut my hair because I don't have enough, but Juice Hawkins does it all. He's a triple
0: threat. Triple threat. Triple threat. Juice. No, no, I like it. Uh, Sean Nielsen. Kid about a Jay Sarah, mm-hmm. defensive tackle. I like him. Uh remember him last year playing very physical, very tough, gutty in the interior for Jay Sarah, who had a pretty good defense in that Trinity League. So Jojo Hawkins, a, like you said, Uber athletic kid, right? You know, great speed, mm-hmm. very fluid. Tremendous ball skills. I think his recruitment is going to take off kind of in the fall, GB, once he gets back out there making plays. I think uh, college is going to start sniffing around and figure out that he's a big-time player. So that's a good deal.
1: We had uh, the man of steel, our good friend of the program. Chris Steele took his official visit to LSU over the weekend. He was at Oklahoma officially last weekend. He's got a couple more visits to go. Uh, Florida will get one. South Carolina will get one. USC will get one. And he may do an unofficial unofficial to Oregon this weekend. Maybe. That's tentative. But uh, Florida looks good. And so does South Carolina. And so does USC for official visits. He loved LSU. He's already been there once back in January or February and uh, he really likes th- what they have to offer there DBU LSU does a great job Baton Rouge great city so I think he loved that loved that a lot uh, Blake Anzalatos took an unofficial visit to Cal Yeah, and uh, loved it loved, loved, loved it Cal's pushing hard Yeah, uh, I, I know Blake and the family Stanford is also high on their board Stanford's kind of a little dragging their feet a little bit but Cal's going all in they, they want Blake and they said dude, dude we don't have a lot of inside backers at all we have like two guys and they're seniors and so Every kid, right, wants an opportunity to come in and play right now. They want to play as a true freshman. So I think Cal right now is probably in the best spot for Blake Anzalados. Terrific fit. Peter Sermon,
0: linebacker coach. Uh, You know, the head coach. I'm losing his name right now. But Joshua. Jay Cox. Yeah. Justin Wilcox. Justin Wilcox. You know they've got a big time staff, a big time defensive staff. Blake Anzalato, is a proven commodity out here in Southern California, proven could take his game up to the Bay Area and hold it down for the West Coast. So holding it down. I'm look. I'm looking forward to something popping sometime soon there with Blake Stanford Cal. I know Utah's in the mix. Northwestern, Notre Dame. So we'll yeah, see. I'm,
1: I'm a little annoyed that Blake isn't getting more offers. I'm seeing other linebackers that are probably have, have half the talent and half the production who have double the offers. Yeah. And if for some reason, it bothers me. So uh, a ton of unofficial visits over the weekend. I already mentioned Blake. Oregon, don't want to dive too much into Oregon right now because we have B-Huff B- talking. But just some of these, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau. Yeah. You know, how about that? Nation's getting, number one. How about getting him on campus? Yeah. How about getting Jaden Daniels, maybe one of the top quarterbacks in the country? How about getting him on campus? How about a guy like Jonah, Jonah Tawanu, and Sean Money Dollars? Yeah. Oregon did a great Mikhail Wright. Yeah. You know, Javon Wilson committed. Is that going to help them with Mikael Wright? I know they're close. I think so. I know they're friends. Yep. Drake Jackson. Drake Jackson. I've kind of pegged him as a, a USC. You, I don't want to use the word lock. You crystal balled him? I did crystal ball him, Drake okay. Jackson. But, you know, right now Oregon's doing some things. Yeah. Oregon's doing some things. So we'll dive more into Oregon later on. Uh, We'll also dive more into the Washington Huskies when we get Scott Eklund, a great guy for the program, dogman.com. Yep. But they had some dude, Josh Delgado and Cameron Davis and Stephon Wright. I think think I might have crystal balled Stephon Wright to USC as well, but I think Washington gave him a lot to think about. Oh, yeah. Stefan Wright's going to take an, an official, official this is my Canadian accent, an official visit to Colorado this weekend. Boulder. Wow. Talk about a beautiful place.
0: Oh, yeah. God I love Colorado. It's almost as beautiful as the White sandy beaches in Hawaii. Almost, almost, almost. You got to say Hawaii, Hawaii, Hawaii. Yeah, I got to so get that down. Stephon
1: Wright, uh, Washington gave him a lot to think about, and we'll definitely talk more about that when we get our guy Scotty Eklund on. So that is uh, that is your recruiting notes for
0: the week. Appreciate you, GB, always coming with the latest recruiting guys taking trips. Let me tell you something, Chris. Still must be exhausted. He feels like everywhere, he's been man. He's to everywhere. every school in the country, at least every conference in the country. He's got to be exhausted. I couldn't do it. He's been to Texas A&M, he's South been there, Carolina. He's been, His he's been to Bama. Miles, I got to get a budget. I under. want
1: that frequent flyer mileage yeah. plan that he's got going on.
0: There's no question about it. So uh, recruiting, you know, it never sleeps. It's always hot. And GB, I know you're always on top of it, so we appreciate you. But right now, it's time for our Sleeper of the Week. It's time for our Sit and Sleep Sleeper of the Week. Really want to thank our guy Larry Miller. He's allowing us to showcase unknown prospects that need to be brought to the spotlight. Larry is all about family and community, and his support is helping to change the lives of young players across the country. Each week, young men are getting scholarship offers after being featured on this show. So thank you, Larry. When we have business and a man that is really interested in the community, we need to show our support right back at him. Sit Sleep is the only place that offers advanced sleep technology. Greg? Body Diagnostics. That's five-star stuff.
1: This is high-quality stuff. Lay down on a mattress, and within seconds, Thousands of sensors can help you find
0: the absolute right mattress for you. Wow. Within seconds? Seconds. Man, that's awesome. Sit and sleep. They'll beat anyone's advertised price or your mattress is free.
2: Yeah.
0: Appreciate you, Larry Miller. Thank you, Larry. All right. Our sleeper of the week this week comes from Orange Lutheran High School. Very interesting situation here, GB. Want to yeah. share it with you. Jake Casavella. Jake Casavella, three, 250-pound defensive lineman. Saw him at the Polynesian Combine, was very, very impressed. But then I did an evaluation on him and watched his tape and was very unimpressed. It was interesting. As I watched him on tape, I quickly learned that he was playing out of position. They had him on the edge, trying to be an edge rusher, which is not his in his skill set. He's more of a one-step quickness guy, leverage guy, power guy. So, so an inside guy. So I, I told his dad, I said, hey, Jake is an inside, he's an interior defensive lineman. He's not a dynamic athlete. You're not gonna get that's not his in his skill set. He's a physical, gritty, blue-collar kid that plays with technique, power, strength, and quickness. He's gonna play inside this year. He's gonna play the three technique. When I saw him at the Polynesian combine, he was dominant. Hmm. Uh he played inside, he played outside, but he was Terrific uh, with his finesse moves, using his hands. He did a great job kind of getting skinny and swimming past guys. Uh, He's got tremendous motor. He's very, very physical. So uh, this week's sleeper of the week, 6'3", 250-pound, 2019 prospect Jake Casavella out of Orange Lutheran. Look out for him. I think he's going to have a fantastic year in the interior, not the exterior, the interior of the Orange Lutheran defense. Getting skinny. (laughs) <laughs> my gotta, favorite gotta, football terms i love that term you gotta get skinny man so Dude, orange blue got dudes man they got some guys yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna go by for uh spring practice man they got some heat up over there and hopefully they got some tri-tip for me afterwards i've been that's seeing that said. i've been they... seeing that circulating around no kidding oh yeah so, i'll join you <laughs> oh, yeah that's a uh, it's a good look so uh before we get to our next segment gb we have to remind people about the Winter Circle. Alright, listen everybody, and I'm talking to you parents and you student-athletes. It's the off-season. This is your time to get better and improve. Come the fall, that's your chance to showcase yourself in front of big-time scouts like me and recruiters across the nation. Now, there are a lot of guys out there that claim to be trainers. They grab a whistle, grab a couple counts, but it's just not that successful. What I'm talking about is going big time. Invest yourself into something special. Call my guy, Jordan Campbell at Winter Circle Athletics. It's a facility in Corona, California with world-class the art technology and Equipment that creates world-class athletes. They understand human performance, health and wellness, and they customize programs to meet your athletic goals. They train specific for your sport and position. The Winter Circle has 50-plus Division I athletes over the last three years. They've added to a 50,000-plus square foot facility, and they also have a prep academy for 8th graders to 6th graders that concentrates on athletic development, social development, and academic development in their newly renovated facility. The Winter Circle Athletics, you can contact them. At All right, and we're back. So uh, the next segment, we're talking with B. Huff, a GOAT from 247 Sports, your good friend, my good buddy. Uh, B. Huff, such a fantastic guy. He's reporting on the spring games and the spring visits, everything up at the University of Oregon, GB. Any thoughts kind of going into this interview?
1: No, I mean, it was good to get Huff's perspective on on all things. You know, next time we'll, we need to have a little, bit more, little more talk about Mike Trout, the GOAT. Yeah. I know this is a doyer. He was struggling. He was struggling a little bit. No, this year. trust like, me. Right? He's Mike Trout. Yeah, he was like a tr- game. He was 0 for six in game one, and since then he's been like the goat. Okay, he leads the majors. I love Trouty. Home. He loves the majors a- in home. and Yeah, If you're a doyer fan, you still can't. Yeah, I, mean, I love. A- Clay. I love Clayton Kershaw. I mean, some no, guys are easy to like. Some guys are easy to like. Yeah, no question. But uh, no, so talking not just about Oregon and, and he, he gave some great notes about Oregon and Washington and how they do things, but more big picture was, you know, why the Northwest schools seem to put a little more priority, a little more importance on the spring games rather than USC, who didn't even have a game this year, or UCLA. He only had a handful of recruits on campus this year. So just kind of getting his perspective on, you know, why some schools do it one way and why other schools do it a different way.
0: Here we go. 247 Sports, B. Huff on The Transparent Truth.
3: All right, right now we'd like to welcome in a good friend of the show. I feel like I need to start cutting this guy a check. But uh, Brendan Huffman, two four seven sports. B Huff, how you doing? I'm good. You got me interested in the full check cutting thing. <laughs> I figured I figured that perks you up a little bit, man. <laughs> I'll
2: be on my top of my game now.
3: Sounds good. I got I got Keith Biggins here. We're talking spring games, in particular the huge weekend up at University of Oregon. B Huff, what can you tell us?
2: Well, I think Oregon absolutely knocked it out of the park in, in a bunch of ways. Obviously, the attendance that they had, I think it was over 25,000, maybe 27,000 I think was the numbers that I saw. Uh, they made a big deal about it. And, you know, you, you see it up a lot of schools. They give a new coach. I mean, Nebraska had ridiculous amounts of people for Scott Frost for spring game. Uh, but Oregon, you know, for the second year in a row, has a new head coach at their spring game. But I think Oregon just does such a good job. They did it last summer as well with their Saturday Night Lights camp just really highlighting their events, really highlighting their kind of the exposure that can be brought, their fan base, and really did a good job, I think, of capturing uh, a lot of momentum from the way that they've carried over into this recruiting cycle, got a lot of key unofficial visitors up. And that's what's so key is that we're now in that time of year where guys can take official visits for the first time ever in spring and Oregon got the majority of their top recruits up there unofficially. So I think Oregon just, you know, really could not have uh, asked for a better weekend in terms of fan support, in terms of recruiting response, in terms of who attended, and then landing a number of commits. I think that they had exactly the kind of weekend they were hoping for.
1: Hey, Huff, before we start talking a little bit, you know, a little bit about Mike Trout and the greatness of the Angels, let's, let's dive into some of these guys. And obviously we touched upon them a little bit in recruiting notes, but three big commitments. I mean, all three of these guys can play. All three are, are four-star prospects on 24-7. Give me a quick thought on what you think. First off, I think the headliner in the big one was Mace Funa, modern-day high school. Um, unfortunately, with, with Mace, as, again, as we touched upon it earlier, you know, he's got the, you know, the ACL injury. He's going to miss his whole entire senior year, which is devastating. But from a football standpoint, what do you feel Mace brings to the table?
2: What is the Oregon Ducks getting in Mace Funa? Well, they're getting a the guy that can do a number of things at his outside linebacker rush end position. He can get to the quarterback. He can drop into coverage. He can stop the run. He's got just this, this energy to him that when you watch him play, I mean, it's his enthusiasm, this kind of uh, contagious energy when he plays that he brings out the best in the other guys around him. He brings out the best in his opponent and really raises his game. And obviously it's terrible that he's, he's already losing his senior year to this injury, uh, but I don't necessarily think it's going to be something that, that stops him because he's just such a tremendous talent that, you know, he probably buckles down the waiver room into rehab, comes back, and he's probably healthier and better than ever. Uh, and really, I think a lot of times injuries are, are partial blessings in disguise for guys because it really allows them to kind of, reshift their focus on to becoming a better player, to becoming more of a student of the game. And Mace was already a guy who I think had a high football IQ. It wasn't just about his physical ability, his ability to diagnose plays, to to read and react. I think that was something that kind of set him apart from others. Loved him at the opening in March. I think he earned an invitation to the opening final, so that's obviously a bummer for him. He won't get to participate. But, uh, you know, from a talent standpoint, great kid off the field as well. I think he's kind of the whole package in terms of what – uh, Oregon and what other schools want in a football player—not just what he brings to the table on the field, but kind of the well-roundedness he has off the field. You
1: know, he, he's kind of like the, the Brennan Brendan Huff bit of football. You, you got to, the way you raise the level of everyone at twenty-four-seven. You kind of mentioned base <laughs> does that as well. Hey Huff, so were you surprised at all about the commitment? I and mean, I think we're all kind of conditioned that when USC wants a kid from California who goes to modern Day High School, nine out of ten times they're going to get that kid. Uh, had you been hearing a little bit about Oregon and and was this a surprise to you or would you kind of expect him to be a duck?
2: You know, I I don't know that I thought he would be a duck this soon. There was a lot of buzz, obviously, going into the weekend that he was going to pull the trigger and and pop in. And I wonder, too, if, you know, the injury kind of uh, accelerated things a bit. And that's one thing that we've seen historically is when guys get hurt, they may, you know, decide, hey, you know, there's no reason to to Drag out the recruiting process anymore. Uh, I do think it, you know it is interesting, and I think he was at what, Santa Margarita before that. So two schools that essentially sent players onto USC that if the Trojans wanted, they got. Uh, but it, it was kind of surprising that he committed this soon, really to anybody. But I do wonder if there was a correlation with the injury, just kind of made him feel like, hey, you know what, let's just get this over with. You know, let's focus on rehab. Let's focus on getting healthy again and not worry about recruiting. You know, obviously there is the early signing period, but that still is eight months away and we've seen it before when USC really turns up the heat on a local kid especially a kid with a lot of ties to a certain university they end up more often than not getting that kid so I'm not saying that Oregon fans have anything to worry about I'm just saying that if USC decides that they really do want to add into the arsenal and they pick up the recruitment of him Oregon's going to have to continue to recruit him at a high level instead of thinking hey he's already committed we've already got him I I do think he is pretty solid in his commitment though but We've seen this movie before, and we've seen how it's played out historically.
1: Yeah, I I do know that USC is still all in on Mace Funa. They are are not going to stop recruiting him at all. I guarantee you that. Hey, two other big commitments for the Oregon Ducks. We had Bakersfield Athlete. DB slash safety, Cameron Williams, and also Javon Wilson, another athlete, two-way guy, running back, linebacker out of Valencia High School. It's uh, so like Javon Wilson has a chance to go and play you know, play on both sides of the ball, kind of told me that running back is kind of where he wants to start off with. And then Cameron Williams obviously plays uh, some quarterback at Bakersfield, but has been very, very good at safety. We've seen him multiple times, Nike openings seven-on-seven events. Uh, Javon Wilson and Kevin Williams, again, same question, how much do you like these guys? And then also, you know, their recruitment. Uh, Any surprises with either of those guys pulled the trigger?
2: Yeah, I I guess Cam Williams would have probably been the the only surprise. With Javon Wilson, I thought it was a matter of when, not if, and it didn't seem like it was going to be a recruitment. He would drag out long. When I talked to him at the Adidas Nationals, he made it sound like it was going to wind down pretty quickly. He said then it was Oregon and Washington were top two, and Oregon was ahead. So it just seemed like it would be a matter of time when he committed to Oregon. Uh, I know he said he wants to play running back. When you look at him, man, he he just looks like he could be such a good outside linebacker. I think the only real surprise there was how quickly he kind of separated himself from Arizona State where his older brother J.J. plays. Uh, And, you know, we, we see that a lot, guys that the younger brother oftentimes want to carve out their own path and want to kind of go a different direction. But you might see that later in the recruiting process. I think early on there still seems to be that intrigue of potentially playing with your your sibling for a year or two. But he seemed to, you know, pretty early on make it about him wanting to go his own route. And, you know, he he liked ASU. Uh, His brother was a big advocate in terms of, you know, the recruiting process to him. But he did want to carve out his own path, and I think Oregon – was definitely that, that school that he found. In terms of Cameron Williams, you know, I, I thought the way his recruitment had really perked up over the last month, that he would be a guy that would wait until, you know, at least maybe summer, early into the fall. He had a number of Pac-12 offers. I think UCLA, Oregon, uh, USC all offered within a matter of weeks and really took his recruitment up a notch uh, Was a quarterback. Some of his early offers were as a quarterback, but he was pretty adamant that he wanted to play DB at the next level. And Oregon obviously did a tremendous job. Two of the best DV coaches and recruiters out there, Keith Hayward and Dante Williams. I think that action really uh, made a big impact on Cameron Williams. But I think his was more of the surprise. If there was anybody over the weekend that I was surprised committed this early, it was Cameron Williams. But it speaks to the, the testament of the, the job that the Oregon coaches did. Uh, but I just thought the way his recruitment was really seeming to blow up that there might still be a few months left in that recruitment. So good job on Oregon to, to get his commitment and to beat some other schools uh, for his commitment.
1: Yeah, those two DB coaches you just mentioned, Hayward and, and Dante Williams, they, they take a backseat to nobody when it comes to just being relentless and building relationships, and that's what recruiting obviously is all about. Just a, a few more names that were there this past weekend. I mean, we're talking about a guy who goes by the name Kayvon Thibodeau. Keon Ware-Hudson, KJ Trujillo, Jaden Daniels, Michael Martinez was not there for the spring game, but he was there on Thursday, and then he came home, but he was obviously out there. Uh, you've already seen him on Twitter posting photos of his photo shoot. Jonah Talanou, Sean Dollars was out there. Noah Pola-Gates, Mikhail Wright, Drake Jackson, Darian Chase, Logan Sagopolu, uh, Javin Wright. That's a big-time players from the 2020 class. Silas Starr, LV Bunkley-Shelton, Clark Phillips, Jay Butterfield. Brandon Jones, Seth Fick, uh, Seth Figgins, Josh Jackson, who was offered, Anthony Beaver from the 21 class. I mean, just as a whole, and I, I kind of want to switch it up a little bit, and talk about spring games in general, but just you think about all that talent that was there, Huff, anybody else that we could potentially see popping for the Oregon Ducks anytime soon, or, or not just anytime soon, uh, maybe just anybody that you feel Oregon now leads for, that maybe they didn't lead for going into this visit?
2: Well, I think K.J. Trujillo is a guy that you know, could be a potential Oregon commander sooner rather than later. It may still be a while for Sean Dollars to commit. I do think Oregon, obviously, I know you talked to him, Oregon made a, a big impression on him but he doesn't seem to be ready to commit anytime soon. Obviously, Silas Starr is an in-state kid. They really want to uh, improve their recruiting efforts in-state. They lost a lot of top guys in a very good class in 2018, so 2019, 2020, they're really focusing on making those in-state kids stay close to home. Silas Starr has organized. His mom's a former athlete there. Uh, he's in Portland, and one of the top programs in the state, but they did such a nice job of going down to Southern California, going over to Arizona, where they've landed guys from years past. They, they went in. To Washington had a couple of kids from Washington go down for the unofficial visit for the game. Uh, they obviously got some of the local kids. They got Bay Area kids. And you, you look at kind of where Oregon has historically recruited well, it's been kind of all around the West. Uh, you know, the only thing missing, I think, were a lot of Hawaii kids, uh, which is another place that they've recruited well. But, I mean, what a it was almost like an SEC style official visit weekend in the fall when you have one of those, you know, Alabama uh, Georgia games or the, the Auburn, Florida, whoever those big games where everybody's trying to be a part of that game, and yet they got them there mostly on their own dime for an unofficial in the middle of April. So I think that that speaks again to the kind of work that Oregon has done on the recruiting trail. And you know, I, I don't think it's any uh, coincidence. Mario Cristobal comes from Alabama, where nobody recruits at a higher level, nobody recruits uh, better than Nick Saban and his program and his staff. And so Christopher brings kind of that same energy uh, when he was the offense coordinator last year or the offensive line coach, and, you know, Willie Taggart did the same thing. He was part of that Jim Harbaugh tree where it was about, you know, that enthusiasm and being active on the recruiting trail. So you put those two together, and then you clearly see the result of a big camp in the middle of July and then a big spring game in the middle of April, and guys want to be a part of it. Guys, you know, there's this fear of missing out that uh, a lot of generations uh, younger than us are really big on They don't want to miss events because if they feel like they're missing out, then, you know, they're going to be on the outside looking in and they're not part of that inner circle. So guys want to be at Oregon. They want to know that they are about to be in the future plans of that program, that they those coaches can get that face time with them. And if they're serious about Oregon by going up there on their own dime. So, I mean, you just going through that list of guys that were there and seeing the photo shoots and then seeing, you know, the, the social media aspect of these guys and just looking they had like an absolute blast. I don't think Oregon could have done a better job uh, than they did, and they absolutely nailed it this past weekend with so many elite guys from really all over the West there, plus some other national guys that came in.
1: Nailed it. You know, you're reading my mind. Huh? You mentioned Mario Cristobal, and more and more I, I talked to players, talked to Chris Steele last night, who potentially could have visited Oregon unofficially this weekend. But, I, you know, I, I said, you Oregon's a school. I, I know you like a lot, Chris. What is it, you know, specifically? And I thought I was going to mention Hayward and Dante, both those two guys. He's very comfortable. with. But he said actually – it's Mario Cristobal, and he said the guy loves recruiting. He goes, as a head coach, he's a recruiter. And he, that he kind of instills that in the rest of the staff. and It kind of filters down. But everyone I've talked to, man, they just rave about talking to Coach Cristobal and just how down-to-earth he is and how humble he is and how just forget football for a second. He's just a real genuine person with humility, and, and he kind of just talks to them in such a way that, man, the guy is very authentic and believable. So, you know, I, I think that's big. And it kinda of, you know, a little segue and, and Washington also, let's not slight them. They they did a great job on their spring game getting some dudes out there, Josh Delgado and Cameron Davis, Stephon right. Why do you think, Huff, again, kinda of switching away from Oregon but like kinda of going more big picture, it just kinda of feels like when it comes to spring game or even early recruiting, Oregon, Washington, um, I think maybe Oregon, Wash. No, those two schools specifically. They they seem to do maybe a better job than the two LA schools, USC and especially you know UCLA right now, who kind of is focusing more on on team building and and getting their schemes. And you know, UCLA had their spring game the same weekend that Oregon did. If you look at the rosters, it wasn't really close, right? Obviously, Oregon hit hit a home run and and UCLA not so much, why do you think big picture, it kind of the Oregon-Washington school seemed to do a better job in terms of making their spring game a big deal than, than USC, who didn't even have a spring game, and then UCLA, who kind of had a game for a half but didn't really try to get a lot of top guys to come to campus for that weekend?
2: Yeah, it's, it's an interesting change for UCLA, too, because the last four or five that he kind of instills that in the rest of the staff and it kind of filters down, but everyone I've
1: talked to, man, they just rave about talking to Coach Cristobal and just how down-to-earth he is and how humble he is and how just forget football for a second. He's just a real genuine person with humility, and, and he kind of just talks to them in such a way that, man, the guy's very authentic and believable. So, you know, I, I think that's big. And it kind of, you know, a little segue. And, and Washington also, let's not slight them. They, they did a great job on their spring game getting some dudes out there, Josh Delgado and Cameron Davis, Stephon Right. Why do you think, Cuff, again, kind of switching away from Oregon, like kind of going more big picture, it just kind of feels like when it comes to spring game or even early recruiting, Oregon, Washington, um, I think maybe Oregon, Washington, those two schools specifically, they, they seem to do maybe a better job than the two L.A. schools, USC, and especially, you know, UCLA right now, who kind of is focusing more on, on team building and, and getting their schemes in, you know, it, UCLA had their spring game the same weekend that Oregon did. If you look at the rosters, it wasn't really close, right? Obviously, Oregon had hit a home run and, and UCLA not so much. Why do you think, big picture, it kind of the Oregon-Washington school seemed to do a better job in terms of making their spring game a big deal than, than USC, who didn't even have a spring game, and then UCLA, who kind of had a game for a half but didn't really try to get a lot of top
2: guys to come to campus for that weekend? Yeah, it's an interesting change for UCLA, too, because the last four or five years, they always did it that last weekend in April, and it always coincided with passing downs best in the West. So they actually, the last four or five years, would have a good number of top recruits on campus for their spring game, or the one year they did it at the Rose Bowl, because a lot of those Bay Area kids, a lot of those kids from Northern California, Najee Harris left their spring game two years in a row. Yeah, he ended up going to Alabama, but... You know UCLA was getting uh, a lot of those guys to come on campus for their spring game. Then they would head over to USC and do an official or an unofficial visit that same day. But UCLA under Jim Mora always had it that last weekend in April, so it allowed for those kids that were coming from out of town to play and passing down, which usually was limited to skill position guys to be on campus. This year they move it up a week it coincides with Oregon who absolutely does a bang up job. I think what a lot of it comes down to is that Oregon and Washington know that it isn't as easy to get kids onto their campus as UCLA and USC can. UCLA and USC being in Southern California can have those kids come over and do an unofficial visit. They can do a meet and greet. They can do a junior day and you're not really looking at a lot of uh, travel costs being incurred those weekends because it's, Hey, you know, drive out, campus, come check us out, come spend a couple of minutes going through the facilities, whereas Oregon and Washington really try to highlight, and especially Oregon, try to highlight specific weekends to bring a lot of those guys in town, and then that coincides with a lot of fans being in town, whether that's for the spring game or whether it's for them showing up for a camp, but I think a lot of it has to do with you know when you're not in a completely fertile recruiting ground where you don't have the ease of access, you really try to say, hey, target this weekend to come up. There's no major events that we're, you know, conflicting with. There's no opening regional. There's no Under work camp. There's no national seven-on-seven. Seven, there's none of that. So everybody come up this weekend, and, and I think that they really do a good job of, of making events, making all day, all weekend, long events out of, you know, rather than your typical, hey, just come, get some pictures, take some, you know, some tours, and, you know, get your Instagram photo of you in the jersey. There's a lot more of, a, of an event, of a. Uh, what's the word I'm I'm trying to look for? One of those, like, activations, if you will, where there's just always stuff going on and so much, but it really is kind of a week-long thing. So you can really, you know, say, hey, we're bringing you in. All the coaches are on deck. They're on board. They want that. They want those guys on campus before they hit the road during the eval period. I just think Oregon, especially Washington to to a large extent as well, really do a good job on making it an experience more than just a a spring game, more than just an unofficial visit. But I really think because of their proximity or their lack of proximity to Southern California and to all the top recruits, they've got to make it kind of more of a, a big weekend than, you know, say the Southern California schools or the Bay Area schools who may have easier access and can kind of do that a little bit more randomly when they do. Hey, Hub, let's talk about UCLA for a second. I'm not trying to put you in the spot. You know, I've
1: kind of had uh, made some posts on the different message boards, and I'm not sure if everyone's been super excited about what I had to say. But do you feel like UCLA, um, their current strategy, haven't offered a lot, of, a lot of players? I think, what, 30 something, right? And uh, just seem to be more focusing on, on the team and get through spring ball. But there is an early signing period now in December. Uh, players can take early official visits. Recruiting is a relationship business. It's all about relationship. It's almost more important in, in some respects than the name on your jersey. Uh, I think it's it's we're kind of seeing it's a social media-driven world. I'm not saying that's good or bad, but it almost seems like a lot of the guys, not just the top guys, but guys, period, and they want to connect. They want to feel like this school wants me. UCLA so far uh, hasn't been as active. You know, we've talked to kids, and we both – can probably count on less than one hand him, and he said, you know, is recruiting me harder than anyone else. Do you feel like they need to pick it up, and if you can, kind of grade their strategy right now and, and their, their performance, and uh, how effective do you think their current strategy in terms of kind of putting recruiting on
2: recruiting the backburn a little bit? Uh, how is that working for them right now, Huff? Well, I give them an incomplete because there really isn't any data that tell whether it's going to work or not because – We still are too early in the process. It could work. It could fail miserably, but I'd give it an incomplete because not enough data has been established yet. Now, having said that, I am very curious to see how it plays out for them long term, and here's why. I know that people say, oh, well, you know, these recruits, uh, we shouldn't have to kiss these recruits' tails, and we shouldn't have to, you know, suck up to them, and they're a bunch of divas. No, no. What it is is guys are getting recruited so much earlier and they realize that the recruiting process is becoming that much more stressful that when they don't have an option, they're eliminating those options. So it's getting to the point where now – some of these guys have been recruited for two years. Some of these guys have been recruited for three years even. And a lot of the key guys, I would say the majority of these key guys, have been recruited for over a year. They've established strong relationships with the coaches at the schools, at other schools. And so they've really built that rapport. They've really built that camaraderie. And when you've got a school that's not really recruiting him, and they're saying, hey, well, we want to get to know them, we want to see them, we want to see them first, You know, it's not because these kids are diva and they want to, you know, get all the attention. They just want to know, hey, that school likes me. That school is interested in me. I have an offer from that school. They are an option. And it can't just be, hey, here's an offer. Now we'll talk to you again in May when the eval period, you know, really kicks going. You still got to keep in touch with those kids and just see... Because if they don't hear from you, their interpretation is that you're not interested. You may have made an offer. There was a couple kids. In fact, we talked about Cameron Williams earlier who was offered by the new staff, I think, in March and then said he hadn't been hearing from them. So it wasn't just guys that had offers from the previous staff that aren't hearing from you. So It's guys that have been offered by this staff that aren't necessarily hearing from them at time. And it doesn't mean that these kids are divas and they are prima donnas and need this attention. No. They just need to know, hey, we're still interested in you. We still want you because we see some of the best kids, some of the nicest, most humble kids, be recruited and then schools stop talking to them. Maybe it's because they're full at the a position. Maybe it's because the, you know they're a uh, school's backing off or cooling off, and the kid doesn't know where he stands. So if the school is not in touch with them, well, how the heck are they supposed to know where they stand when they're never hearing from them? So this strategy—it's a bold—you know—I think back to that line in dodgeball. It's a bold move. We'll see if it play, if it pays off. <laughs> you know, right now with no commitments in this class, uh, it's hard to say that it's working. You know, they may end up with the top twenty five class. I think the belief that, oh well if they have a good season if Chip wins eight or nine games in his first year they'll all confront no, I don't buy that for a second either because with the signing period in December, you're looking at late November when guys are going to know, Oh yeah, okay, they won nine games, now I want to go there, but who knows how hard I mean if their if their emphasis is on coaching and development in the spring What's it going to be in the fall when games are being played? Is it going to be on coaching and developing then? Or is recruiting going to get the attention that it should as well? So that's why it's hard to say, well, the coaching and development is the key part of spring. They'll get recruiting afterwards. Recruiting is a year-round thing nowadays. Well said, Huff. Well said, and I, I agree with you. Let me ask you this question.
1: This a transparent truth. I want, I want you, know, you to speak from the heart, I don't want to put you on the spot, but do you feel that UCLA is maybe overvaluing their name a little bit? And by that I mean UCLA has always been able to recruit well, and it doesn't matter with the record, it doesn't matter who the coach was. UCLA traditionally is going to have a top 25 recruiting class, and in their good seasons they're having a top 10 class. Saying all that, do you kind of feel like maybe UCLA is overvaluing their name brand and feel like, you know, we can, we're UCLA, uh, these kids will come and they'll hunt for an offer. They'll come camp with us because we're UCLA. Even if they already have 20 offers, we can just offer whatever we want. Uh, they're going to come love us up. We can come in late and close on them. I mean, no disrespect, obviously. I'm a Chip Kelly fan. When he left Oregon, I thought he was a top-five coach in college football. So I know he can coach flat out. But do you feel that UCLA may be overestimating a little bit when they can, their ability to come in and, and be like a an Ohio State, a USC locally, that can just kind of come in and throw a late offer and close on a kid? How do you, what, what do you think about UCLA? Do you think,
2: you think that's what they're thinking? Is that part of their, their mindset right now? It, it's got to be. It's the only rational explanation. And, yeah, I do think that they're overvaluing it because you and I both know this, that most kids, elite kids that are in the coming senior class aren't going to go to a camp unless it's to an Alabama, unless it's to, you know, maybe Florida when they do their, their Friday Night Live, which is one of the original big camps. Obviously, USC's rising stars has long been – one of the best college camps that ever existed uh and i think those are there's a few schools that can say hey come to our camp and get an offer but i mean alabama yeah they're throwing out a ton of offers yeah there's a lot of uncommittable offers coming out of tuscaloosa but alabama is still recruiting they're still getting out there and they have the best brand they have the best name of any school in college football right now with the national championship with the heisman trophy winners with the draft picks with everything you would think alabama would be the one to say hey you know, yeah, we offered you, but this only means it's an offer to come to our camp to really be able to commit to it, but they're at least still getting out there and, and being active. And that's where I think you know UCLA's kind of the gamble is, is very risky because the expectation that top kids are going to want to come and camp in the middle of June, no, they better know well before June that they have an offer or an opportunity, even if it's a local kid. I mean, save maybe – one or two years there uh, under Jim Mora, when Lane Kiffin was still the head coach at USC and they were under their own kind of you know disastrous thing, UCLA's camp has never outdrawn USC in terms of the caliber of players that were there. And that took even when UCLA had passed USC very shortly in those first few years under Jim Mora during the Lane Kiffin-Steve Sarkeesian years, and even then, USC still in their camp historically would draw more talent to it than UCLA would, especially when they were doing uh, less scholarships because of sanctions. So UCLA, I think they need to understand, you know, guys are not wanting to wait until June to get an offer. You went six and seven last year. You went four and eight the year before that, and you went, what, eight and five the year before that it's been a while since they've been a 10 win team and you can't just say oh well these kids want that offer it just doesn't work like that Alabama can pull that off Notre Dame can pull that off USC and the Pac-12 can pull that off but very few teams can and I don't think UCLA is in that position where they can just say hey you know top kids come in work out at our camp in June and you might have that offer top kids are not waiting until June and they typically aren't camping going into their senior year most of that camping is being done before their junior year anyway. And, and, the, and the one caveat I would I would say is you can probably get away
1: with having a kid camp for an offer if you're actively recruiting him, and and yeah. that's one of the things that Alabama does so well. You mentioned Notre Dame, you mentioned USC, in Ohio State, and Texas and Florida schools. All three of the Florida schools, they do a great job of recruiting guys who don't have offers yet. It's it's not all or nothing, right? I, mean, I actually love UCLA's strategy of only offering a handful of kids because we've seen in the past, man. UCLA threw out so many. Uncommittable offers, and even took Uncommittable commitments from guys We're going, that guy just committed to UCLA Why? And kind of story we heard was Yeah, that, that, that's not going to last So I, mm-hmm. I'm a fan of, of not offering Kids, I, I'm a fan of, of being very selective, so my offer means Something, right? When Stanford or Washington Offer a kid, then that kid gets Jacked, because they know, man, if I want to offer From Washington, and I play tight end They might only offer one or two guys And same thing, you know, if you're Stanford, you get an offer from Stanford You're doing cartwheels it just, I want your offer to, to mean something, but I think what UCLA's kind of failing to realize is that it's not just about, okay, we either offer the guy or we don't offer the guy. You've still got to recruit these kids heavily and make sure that kid knows that, hey, we love you. We just have an offer. We want to evaluate you. You have to keep that constant dialogue going. USC does it. Notre Dame does it. Alabama does it. So that, that's where I think, uh, that's, that's where I'm fascinated. Like you said, I'm fascinated to see this strategy and how it's going to work and how it's going to pay off. And, you know, I, I like it when I'm hearing in terms of just being selective and, you know, measurables and being specific and kind of wanting a guy to fit your spe- specific scheme and system fit and all that good stuff. But also, man, I know you got to grind, right? you got to grind on kids. It's a 24-7 deal. you got to keep on these kids. And, and if it's, the coaches can't do it, you got to support staff in place and let those guys do it. I think look across town. I mean, USC's got guys like Ziskin and Rios and, and Gavin. Those guys kill it. Right. So I think that's where I, for me, that's why I think you slide kind of slipping a little bit.
2: Yeah. And I think, you, you know, you nailed it too. I mean, there is something to the smaller amount of offers. They make it, you know, more prestigious. They make it, you know, more like you've accomplished something. If you're one of the select few, I think Stanford has done that well, but again, Remember when Jim Harbaugh first got to Stanford, they offered everybody with a pulse. They were offering quarterbacks that we knew couldn't spell Stanford, let alone get into Stanford. And there was a ton of offers, but it took Stanford time to get where they could be selective under David Shaw. And it also took a few successful years on the field for Stanford to start to be able to be more of the picking rather than the choosing. Even Washington, the less offers that they've given out the last couple of years have coincided with Chris Peterson taking that program, to the level that it's now at. We're at top 10 program. It's a contender for conference champions, and it's been you know, a contender for a national championship. I also think that Chris Peterson did that same strategy when he was at Boise State, but he quickly came from Boise State to Washington. There wasn't a five- or six-year getting out of college football period, going to the NFL, and then coming back and adopting the same principles. I still think that you know, Washington – really had to get the success on the field before they could be more selective. Obviously, Steve Sarkeesian was much like Jim Harbaugh. He offered everybody that played football a scholarship. At least it seemed like that. But you got to be selective once you started winning. And I think UCLA can be selective, but they've got to have some of that on-field success. And like you said, they still uh, – Darian Chase is a perfect example. He's a guy that Oregon feels really good about getting, but I can still see if Washington offers him late – He ends up committing to Washington, and he's in the middle of – he's in Vancouver, so he's in the middle of Washington and Oregon in terms of, you know, location to Seattle and to Eugene. But Washington hasn't offered him, but they've had him up for an unofficial visit. They're consistently talking to him. They're still keeping him – you know, keeping tabs on him, telling him to come to their camp, telling him that they want to come watch him during the spring. And that's what you've got to do. If you're not going to offer kids – at least stay aggressive with him, stay active with him, stay in communication with him, rather than, okay, we'll see you in June. If we don't hear from you before then or you don't hear from us then, then that will be the next time we talk. That strategy is going to fail. Huff, I gotta, we got to let you go. you got, you got an appointment. So
1: you're moving. You're shaking. You're doing all kinds of big stuff. So I do appreciate you giving us 30 minutes of your life. Hopefully it's the 30 it's the thirty best minutes of your day today, Huff. Let's hope. There's, and, a, uh, there's
2: no question it will be. I
0: appreciate you, man. Thank you very much. And, uh, yeah, man, we'll talk to you soon, buddy. Thanks, guys. See ya. All right. We appreciate B. Huff for coming on. Very interesting, GB. UCLA kind of riding their UCLA wave and might not be as strong as maybe it used to be when they had Brett Hundley and Dayton Jones and those guys. Uh, the brand, the UCLA brand, I, I, if you ask me, it's kind of taking a little bit of a hit. Uh, being that, you know, they, they've had a losing season. They've had a subpar season afterwards. They're struggling uh, in terms of production on the field and now production off the field and recruiting. And the weird thing, that's always kind of how it's been with UCLA.
1: And they've always had these top 25 recruiting classes. So I, I think that's almost maybe have, have, have made the, either the fan base or maybe even coaches kind of, I don't want to use the word jilted, but UCLA has been able to have success without really being what I would call grinders. Right? Schools like Alabama, Ohio State, locally, USC, those schools recruit like they're two and nine teams. They recruit like they're Idaho State, and they're Alabama, Ohio State, and, and USC. They out-recruit other schools, even though they don't have to. They can get away with just, hey, we're USC, we're Alabama, we're Texas, come to our school, okay, where do I sign, right? UCLA has never been that way, and it's always been kind of weird to me. They've always kind of recruited... In a, in a different way. And I think this year, especially, and I kind of get it, right? Chip's got a whole new program, a whole new system. They're, they're behind. They want to implement that. But from a recruiting standpoint, man, I have not talked to a single kid who's told me, when I, I always ask the kid, hey, give me your schools that are recruiting the hardest. UCLA is never mentioned as a school. And, and the, I know UCLA's probably, hey, you know, we got plenty of time. Dude, recruiting is now fast forwarded. Oh, yeah. Recruiting, you don't, you don't have time. December 20th. You're already behind on the 2020 class. Right. So the 2019 class, I mean, guys can start taking official trips now. Guys are going to sign in December. Guys are building relationships with other schools. Mikael Wright just dropped you. Mikael Wright went to sign with UCLA last year at the same, at this very same time. That was his dream school. Yeah. yeah he didn't make his top eight. Wow. And that's a guy in your backyard whose head coach, Larry Muir, is a Bruin. So, I mean, there's built-in advantages at certain, with certain players in certain schools that they're not taking advantage of because they're kind of putting recruiting on the, recruiting on the back burner. Recruiting, that's an everyday
0: deal, man. It's like shaving. You got to do it every day or look like a bum. Speaking of recruiting, GB, we got Scott Eklund coming on. He's going to be Let's starting on everything University of Washington football, so all you fans, recruits, prospects, parents interested in University of Washington, this is your interview. Scott Eklund, dogman.com, 247 Sports.
3: All right, now we'd like to welcome in Scott Eklund dogman.com 247 sports guy how you doing
4: i am doing great guys it's great to be here
3: hey man we, we're glad to have you on the transparent truth i know you are big in the northwest and you were out in the university of washington and and, and you got a chance to hear about everything that went on at u over the big recruiting weekend i got my man greg biggins here and uh, we want to hear all about it gb won't you go ahead and take over
1: yeah, Scott. So let's just jump right in. Obviously, Washington did a great job with their spring game. We kind of commented earlier. We had B Huff on the on on the show, and just what a great job Washington and Oregon both did with their spring games. But in terms of some of the key prospects that were on campus this past weekend, Scott, uh, break those guys down. Who was there, and uh, what are your thoughts on Washington's chances of getting those guys right now?
4: Well, um, I mean, some of the big names that were on campus were Isaiah Foskey, the tight end from De La Salle, uh, Josh Delgado, the wide receiver from IMG, formerly of uh, St. John Bosco, and uh, there are a few, um, you know, signees from the 2018 class, plus a couple other guys who don't have offers that Washington's kind of given a look to. Also, um, on the docket was uh, Cam Davis, the running back out of Upland, who... uh, who made the trip up with, uh, his teammate, Taj Davis, no relation. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, Nate Kalepo was also there another commitment, uh, from the, from, uh, Rainier beach kind of up in the air where he's going to be going this, this fall. Cause he's not at Rainier beach anymore. But, uh, anyway, uh, you know, Washington did a really good job of showing these guys around. I think Washington's in a great spot for Josh Delgado right now. He's, uh, you know, wide receiver, five, what, about 5'11, 180, 185 pounds whatever he is there, and he's a slot receiver. Washington's looking at him as kind of a slot guy who could possibly move outside a little bit. I think Washington's in really good shape with him there. I talked to Isaiah Foskey uh, very recently, and he uh, told me that Washington, this is his second trip to Seattle, Washington did a really good job of recruiting him. He said he really feels like he could fit in their offense real well. He said he's going to narrow some things down Um, Once he takes a few visits this summer, I I know Texas is a school he's planning to visit here pretty soon, and he maybe wants to get out and see a few more schools. But um, I I think Washington's in the running for possibly getting an official visit. And then Stephon Wright, the um, uh, defensive lineman out of Cathedral down there in Los Angeles, he he really loved his visit. He's taken an official visit to Colorado this weekend, and he told me there's a good chance he could be making a decision here in the next week or so. And I think Washington's in pretty good shape for him. I think it a lot depends on how things go at Colorado this coming weekend. So those are kind of some of the guys that were on campus. Trey Lowe was there, a 2018 signee. Tule Ledtule Le- uh the 2018 signee from De La Salle, D-Tackle. And MJ Alley, a big... Um, uh, offensive linemen from up here at Fife High School in and, and kind of the southern Puget Sound down by Tacoma area. Um, those were kind of the guys that were on campus and, and really seemed to enjoy themselves because it was a nice day. The, the, there was a decent crowd for Washington. The, their crowds aren't going to be anywhere near what, you know, Nebraska, Alabama, Georgia, some of those schools are. Washington typically only does about five to 10,000. I'd say there's probably about 5,000 people there. It was a nice day. Seemed to enjoy it, and uh, it was a lively uh, scrimmage toward the end of practice.
1: Hey, good stuff, Scott. So take me through a Washington spring weekend. Say someone like Keith Miller, you know, a pretty solid three-star prospect is coming out of, of high school, and I'm just kidding because I'm sure Keith sees himself as a five-star plus. Uh-huh. But, but I'm, say, say Keith's on his visit, and he's got an offer – what exactly goes on at a Washington spring game? Is it do they just go to the game or do they do the full on campus tour, meet the academic advisors? Do they have a chance to sit down one on one with their position coaches? Is it like the full on deal or is it just the spring game itself?
4: Uh, no, they, um, the guys who haven't been here before got the full on. Deal, You know, where they're doing the visit and, you know, they're, they're seeing campus, they're meeting with the counselors, they're getting uh, Chris Peterson's Built for Life uh, presentation that he does that is just such a hit with a lot of the kids, but pretty much every parent who comes out of that says, these people are really going to be here to take care of my boy. Uh, when he's here, on, you know, if he, if he ends up going here. So that's kind of what what happens. They, they, they end up doing lunch afterwards um, or a dinner. Um, I know that they do some barbecue things as well, <clears throat> just kind of show the guys a good time and what it's like to be a player up here at the University of Washington. A big selling point for Washington, I know this is like this at a lot of schools, but Washington's big selling point is making sure these guys realize that they – are part of a family, not just a team. But you're part of a family when you come up to the University of Washington, and I think that's that's something that sells a lot of kids, especially a lot of these uh, Polynesian kids who who are coming a long way from home. They, they, you know, they we we have a decent poly community up here in the in the state of Washington, and that and that uh, really sells a lot of those kids on, on the poly community. Ikaika Malloy, the defensive line coach, and Jordan Powpow, um, those are two. Um, you know, poly coaches on the Washington staff. So, you know, they really kind of really try and sell a lot of those uh, Polynesian players and prospects on coming up here and being part of it. But more than anything, they, they try to give these guys just come up and visit Washington other than an official visit. So they try to give those guys who haven't been here before a um, a full on presentation. The guys who'd been here before, Isaiah Foskey, he really enjoyed sitting through the team meeting uh, before the practice and, and got a chance to see the coaches really interact with guys. Jude Wolf got to do that uh, a couple weeks ago when he came up. He said that really, really had an impact on him, seeing how the coach interacts with the players. There's several offensive linemen who've said that Scott Huff has really shown shown himself as kind of a. He's a coach's coach, or a, a player's coach, a, guy's, a guy who, who kids around with his guys, but he knows when to get down to business. So I think a lot of it's just showing them what it's like to be part of the program up here and, and be in that and be part of a family instead of just a teammate.
1: You know, Scott, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of, of Coach Peterson and how he does things. He mentioned the family thing. I will tell you what, I think more so, than, and everyone tries to, to spin it up, hey, we're a family and blah, 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 but I think I hear more kids and parents leave their trips from Washington and say, man, that was the school I got the most family feel. So I know everyone's pushing it, but at UW, man, I think they do a, a great job, probably a better job than anybody else, at making kids feel like this could be a, a second home, a home away from home. I'm going to yep. put you on the spot right now, Scott Eklund. Put you on the spot. Transparent truth. Give me one guy, just one guy who you feel pretty confident that he is going to commit to Washington. That was at that spring game this past weekend. Who you going a crystal ball?
4: God, um, well, there, there's two that I would say I think Washington's uh, probably going to get commitments from. I feel pretty – you know, I, uh, Josh Delgado is one you kind of uh, crystal balled just relatively recently, late last week, and uh, I think he's pretty close. He's going to take a little bit of time, but I think he's pretty close to committing. But the guy who I think could end up being a Husky here pretty soon is Stephon Wright, the defensive lineman out of Cathedral mentioned a little bit earlier. He's 6'3", he's about 260, 270 pounds, could play inside, could play outside, kind of do a lot of different things along that offense or that defensive line. He's visiting Colorado this weekend, but, man, just the way – he would not reveal anything to me. This is not any inside knowledge from him telling me something that's going to happen. He was he was pretty close to the vest on it. But, you know, I've done this a long time. Greg, Greg, you've done it a lot longer than I have. So have you, Keith. Uh, when, when these guys tell you something, when they're real effusive in their praise of a, of a visit and everything like that, I think that just kind of tells you where things are going, especially when they're going to decide pretty soon. So, um, I think Stephon Wright here in the next couple of weeks could end up being a Husky, and that's the one I'll go with.
1: Now, what about, you mentioned Colorado. I know he's got that official visit this weekend. Where is USC at in the process? Cause I know at one point, USC was on him pretty heavily and. Hey, I'm just kinda of conditioned if it's some of the California kid that u s c wants they typically get that kid where does did he mention u s c at all when you spoke to him after his Washington visit?
4: Yeah, he did, and he said that uh u s c was still in the mix for him, but um I think this Washington visit really kind of blew him away Now one thing I'll say about Chris Peterson and the way he does things, and he's kind of become famous for you know or infamous whatever you want to call it for, being a guy who's a pretty much a stickler for for kids not taking visits after they've made their commitments. And, um, you know, Washington has never really lost somebody. I mean, they they have, but they, they hadn't really lost anybody until they lost Marlon Tui-Pelodu uh, a couple classes ago to um, Jimmy, uh, Johnny Nansen when, when he stole him right before signing day. Other than that, Washington hasn't lost a lot of guys, and one of the big reasons is because Peterson doesn't like his guys committing until they're fully on board. And so, I think one of the things that we're going to have to see is how um, committed Stefan Wright. If he said if he calls UW and he says, "Hey, I want to commit to you, coach," the coach, will, uh, coach Peterson and Greg, you know this. He'll say, "How committed are you? Are you ready to shut down your recruiting? Because that's what we expect out of you. If he's ready to shut down recruiting." Go for the commitment, but I don't, you know, we'll, we'll see. He told me that USC, Colorado, and Washington were his top three, really, at this point, even though it's not an official top three, you know, or he announces it on Twitter or anything, but he told me those were kind of the final three that he was looking at, and, and I think Washington right now has done a really good job. That was his first time up on campus. Um, he just really loved his visit to the University of Washington, and I think Washington's going to end up getting him, but uh, we'll see. He, they might not get him if he's not ready to totally shut things down.
1: I like Stefan Wright. Good kid, good football player. I like his positional versatility as well. Hey, Scott, real quick before I let you go, uh, right now Washington has seven commitments. Uh, I, I would say probably the headline would be the quarterback, Dylan Morris. If you can, kind of break down this this, uh, this recruiting class so far. Obviously, you already mentioned Calepo, and uh, recently we upgraded uh, Cam Fabi Kalanen, the DB to a four-star prospect. Love what he can do. But how would you uh, how would you grade the the current Washington commit class?
4: Um, I think it's I think it's solid right now. I think it can it's going to be a lot better than people really realize it is. I mean they've got uh, they've got two for sure offensive linemen and Corey Luciano, the Diablo Valley uh, you know junior college guy, Nate Kalepo, who's going to be a tackle, six six, three hundred pounds, most likely like a right tackle. Then you've got a guy like uh, Sama Paama, the, the guy out of uh, Kaimuki out there in Honolulu. Got, uh, 24-7 has him uh, projected a defensive tackle, and, and he's coming in um, as a defensive tackle to Washington. But I think he's one of those guys who's versatile enough, could play offense, and I think Washington's eventually going to end up moving him over to the uh, offensive side of the ball. Then you got Noah Nogalu out of Menlo Atherton. Greg, I I know right after you watched his film, you raved about him and thought he was a pretty special kid. I've always kind of liked the way he plays. He's 6'2", 280. He can play that four-eye, which is on the inside, um, or the outside shoulder of the guard, inside shoulder of the, the tackle, and, and really hold strong at the point of attack. I think Washington really likes, like you, you said, Greg, his position versatility. And then, um, you know, Dylan Morris is, is a guy who's really – um, been a stalwart since he was a freshman. You know, everybody's kind of known him for a while, um, I, like you said. And then um, you, you just mentioned uh, Fabi and, and as a guy who's just been raised up. So I think Washington's done a real, got off to a really nice start. The way Washington's coaches work, though, they really want to get their class solidified by the end of summer. So Washington's going to take 20 to 22 guys in this class, I wouldn't be surprised if they have 15, 16, 17 by the end of summer. That's a lot of guys. So we're talking at seven commits now. You could see another 10 before um, before the end of the summer and, and the start of uh, football season. So it's going to be a, a pretty crazy ride here over the next couple months, especially in um, – May, June, and July when there will be visitors up on campus and, and seeing things. And you're going to have the uh, Washington's Rising Stars camp and the Dirt Dog camp for offensive defensive linemen. Uh, and then we get into fall camp and things like that. Things kind of slow down on the recruiting front. So I think in, over the next three months, May through the end of July, you could see ten more guys committed in this class. And I think Washington, the coaches would really like to have a lot of those guys wrapped up before they, before they head into fall camp.
1: Nice. I like it, Scott. I like it. Get these guys, lock them in early. Sign them in December. Should, should yeah, I mean, up, with the, with the December doing. signing
4: period, you know, these coaches really want to get Absolutely. their guys uh, in early.
1: Absolutely. Lock them in, and everything is sped up. I keep saying, man, people, you can't wait around. It, it's, all, it's a relationship business, and right now, man, Washington does as good a good job as anybody building those relationships, Guys, Bush Hamden, Coach Lake, the whole staff does a really, really good job. So, uh, Scotty, I appreciate you, man. Great stuff. Great recap of Washington, the recruiting class, the spring game, all that. Keep us up to date, dogman.com, one of my favorite websites. Keep us up to date, Scotty. I appreciate you, and, uh,
0: now you have a good rest of the day. All right, I appreciate it. All right, we appreciate Scott for coming on. Um, That's kind of going to do it for today's show, GB. I appreciate you. It was a
1: grind for me. Hey, you rallied, man. I did. You didn't even need to puke and rally. You just rallied. I'm a linebacker, like you said. Hey, man, sometimes you got to step it up a little
0: bit. I'm always going to bounce back. So, hey, everybody out there, we appreciate you for joining us. Uh, please follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We're out there. Follow Greg at Greg Biggins on Twitter at Coach Keith underscore MP. There's a new sheriff in town, and his name is Reggie Hammond. Y'all be cool.